Bible, turn to John chapter 3. As we said, we're going to focus on this one verse this morning. And uh, you know we have been in our series of Advent. The word Advent means just the arrival. So in the Old Testament, uh, the Word of God has, was building. It, it needed a solution. It needed a Messiah. It needed one who was going to come to make everything right between man and God again. And so everything was tried and everything was attempted. And uh, as they went through that process, uh, you know, you could see the law and you could see the temple and you could see the priest system and you could see all those things were failing. And all the people were yearning for something more, something that would fulfill their heart to know they were made right with God and, and completely right with God. And, and yet at the end of Malachi, there seems to be no hope. There seems to be, there's no chance that that was going to happen. And so they began to hear of this message, and they knew it from the beginning. And they were like, well, where is this Messiah? Is it ever going to come? Will the coming of Christ ever happen? And, and sure enough, as the advent, the arrival happens, we get to the Gospels. After 400 years of silence, uh, steps into the world, this Messiah, Jesus Christ. He comes as a baby in a manger. And he gives the hope and the peace and the love to all of the world. And, and as we think about this arrival, as excited as they were, hopefully our hearts will be just as excited as well. And we identified four words we were going to focus on this season, which was hope, love, joy, and peace. Hope we talked about last week. Uh, last week that we know in this world, they think they could give you hope, but the only place you get true hope is through Jesus Christ. We see the failure of man, and we see the fallen world, and we see the dark future. And what hope do we have? The hope that we have is through Jesus Christ, that we know we have a Messiah. We know we have a Christ that we can trust, and we know our sins can be forgiven. And we know we can have our, our heart washed white as snow, and the guilt and the shame can be gone because of the blood of Jesus Christ, what Christ has done in His coming. And we have that hope and the hope that the world can't give and the world can't take it away, right? That's why we celebrate. We got this hope. And then this morning we're going to look at love. Love is a great word. Love is part of the story. And it's part of something that we know only comes from God. So John 3, 16, I want to read it to you. It says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now the height and the depth and the width of this verse is literally unbelievable. It is a gift of God that Paul, even himself said, was the indescribable gift. Like you cannot exhaust this verse. And I say you know it, you hear it, you've heard it before, but literally the depth and the height of this is just unbelievable. And I certainly am not going to unpack this whole thing in 30 minutes to where you'll understand this verse in the context and the depth that it really, really means. But when I was growing up, my dad used to always say when something looked impossible, he'd say, how do you eat an elephant? And he'd say, one bite at a time, right? All right. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to take one bite at a time. And maybe we might get a few in there. But I want you to help try to uh, let you digest this to understand the love and the, and the love that we have, uh, have in Jesus Christ. So the first two words, for God. I'm going to take it seven phrases. For God. It begins with God. 
Salvation begins with God. Creation begins with God. Redemption begins with God. Everything in between begins with God. You see, when you get to the Christmas story, you realize this is not my story. And this is not your story. This is not something that was made up by the world or history had, had come to the past and say, this is the way it's supposed to be told. No, the purposes and the means of God is how we get this story. It is God's story. And if you want a salvation that is eternal, it's got to begin with God. God begins it. And it says, for God, his purposes, his means, his will will never be stopped. And you're not going to alter it, and I can't alter it, and no one else can alter it. It is for God. He was in full control when sin entered this world. He was in full control when Jesus came to this earth. He was in full control when he died on a cross. He is in full control of your life, and he will be in full control when he comes again. All right? He's in full control. And, and one thing we must realize is that all the rules and all of history and all of eternity is in God's control. And for you and for me, it's a great, great lesson to learn. One of the greatest lessons in life to learn, that God is in control. And if he is in control, we have nothing to worry about, right? I mean, in this time of year, a lot of times the heaviness of life begins to weigh us down. A lot of times we begin to look at things in the past. We begin to look at things in the future, and our hearts begin to sink, and we begin to think about people that may not be with us anymore, and we begin to think about, does God really love me? Does God really have a plan for my life? And we begin to question God, and we begin to complain to God. I know you've never done that, but I've done that a few times. candidate for the job. I am, right? I can help God help myself, right? But guess what? God doesn't need a helper. God is God, and His purposes are always true, and he, they will always prevail. And for you and for me, what we need to learn is this, God's message. And if we examine the, Christian, uh, the Christmas message, it's your will be done, not my will be done, God. This is God's will. He is the beginning, the end, the author and the finisher of our faith. And he is that for our life. And as we know this for the purposes and ways of God will always prevail. And as we have this confidence and faith in the message because God is the author. This is something that didn't start with a tradition. It didn't start with a religion. It didn't start with those who are Baptists. It didn't start with a preacher. It didn't start with an angel. It didn't start with a prophet. It started with God. For God. The story that we are going to hear in this one verse was all backed up by God. It is His and His alone. I suppose I have a check for you for... Ten million dollars, all right? I was going to say a million dollars, but I realized that's probably not that much money anymore, all right? So I had to say ten million dollars, all right? So say I had a, a check for you for ten million dollars. I'm sure the first thing that would go through your mind would say, I wonder if that check's legitimate or not. And the first thing you'd want to know was who signed that check, right? Because if it was my signature on the check, you can throw it in the trash, all right? Because it's not going to be good. And it'll probably bounce back up and hit you in the head when you throw it in there, all right? But, but, but if, I, if you got that check and you looked on that check and the signature read Elon Musk on the signature of that check, your heart would begin to leap because you would know he is the most, uh, he, is, he is the richest person in the world. He has billions and billions of dollars. And you would know that whatever was on that check was good because Elon Musk signed his name to it. Well, what I'm telling you, the message I'm going to share with you and the love of God about the plan of salvation in John 3.16 is a check. And it's been written by God and he has signed his name with it. 
I cannot cash it. I could not uh, back this up, but God in his redemption, his unconditional love of who he is, it is good because God could never write a check that he can't cash. And if you claim this promise and you believe in this and you have faith in Jesus Christ, let it be known for sure that it will come to pass that you will be saved and he will love you like this verse says that he loves you. And uh, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good number one in it. That's number one, all right? Number two, for God so loved, not just loved, so loved. I mean, it is an incredible message that it's not just love, it's a descriptive love, a so loved. It reminds me of when I had children, they always said, you know, boys and girls are different when you raise them. And with the boys, I always say, I love you. And most of the time I'd hear a mumbled, I love you too, you know. <laughs> I wasn't sure if they did or not. But when Courtney come along, and I'd say, I love you. She would say, I love you more. And then I'd say, well, I love you more. No, I love you most. I love you more than the most, right? Like there's descriptors to that love, like this understanding that this is not just an ordinary love. This is a, an extraordinary love. So for God so loved, not ordinary, but a special kind of love. The Greek language has three different types of love. And most people have the consensus of these three basic Greeks for, Greek words for love in our New Testament come from three base words. First base word is eros, E-R-O-S, eros love. That is a sensual or a consuming love. What we would say is what we, we, would, consume, we would consider this the lust, right? When most people say they love something, what they're saying is I lust after it, right? Like I want it because I want to consume it. And I want to consume it, and when it's gone away, all of a sudden it leaves you empty and desiring more. By the way, this is a terrible way to build a relationship on, right? You know, most people believe that they just want to build their relationship on lust or a, a material-type love. But that comes and goes. It's transitory. And if you marry your husband or you marry your wife because they are really, really good looking, and it's only a physical attraction, that is the weakest part of love. Because when that physical attraction goes away, what's going to hold you together? Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but everyone doesn't keep looking the same for their whole life, all right? We change. We, we tend to droop a little bit. We tend to get wrinkles and our hair gets, uh, falls out. Some of them turns gray, right? Right, mine as well. It changes. And it's a consumption love. It's based upon if you want lust after it, you want it. That's not the word here. And the word, there's another type of word for love, which is a little deeper, a phileo love. It's called uh, a brotherly love. It is a love that's built on you love me and I love you. It's a mutual love. Like, like I love you as a brother, you love me as a brother. And so we have this brotherhood, kind of like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We got to visit there several years ago. I don't know why. It's an oxymoron. There's not a whole lot of brotherly love in Philadelphia. There's some great cheesesteaks there, though. We all walked almost three miles to get one from Geno's there. But anyhow, uh, it, it, the Philadelphia, it's not a base. God didn't say, I will love you if you love me. This, that's, not, that's not the basis of salvation. And so many of us fall for that trap. If I love God enough, he'll love me back. No, that's not the kind of love. The kind of love is agape love. That's the third Greek word, agape. This is the highest form of love. It is the love that only comes from God. God is love. Agape love is God's love. It is based on nothing. It is an unconditional love. He doesn't say, I love you because I like you. 
He doesn't say, I love you because you're lovable. He doesn't say, I love you because you was born in the right family or you do the right things. No, he loved unconditionally. There was no conditions to his love at all. It was unconditional love. And it's also an enduring love. A love that never gives up, never runs out, never turns back on you. It's a love that loves you through the worst moments of your life. A love when you, uh, for you that even when you rebel and you turn against God or you do the wrong things, it's an enduring love and it's a perfect love. Uh, it's a love that is so perfect there is no flaws in it. I mean, that kind of love, that's the kind of love we're talking about this Christmas. And the question is, have you experienced this kind of love? Have you always thought you can make yourself good enough for God to love you? You don't have to. The message of Christmas is it's an unconditional love from God who is love that will love you just the way that you are and gives you this offer. And it says an offer for you and for me. And you say, well, you don't know about me, Pastor. God don't love me like that. Well, let me tell you what he says here. For God so loved who? The world. The world. The world here is the scope of God's love. That means that every single person that is born has the opportunity or experience to, to, to know the love of God. And I praise God we serve a God that loves the whole world, by the way. As long as I live, I'm going to be a preacher that wants to preach to the whole world. When I was growing up in Jacksonville, there was an African-American preacher on uh, the radio. His name was Pastor R.J. Washington. And he had the Harvest Dome. That's what his church was named. And he always start his sermons and he would end his sermons and he had it on his pulpit. And it would say, from the uttermost to the guttermost, Jesus loves you. And I thought, what a message. I don't care if you're the highest or the lowest and you look at Christmas, you see the highest and you see the lowest. You see the shepherds, you see, you see the, the flock and you see the lowest of people and you see the highest of the angels and the wise men. And all in between, God's love is for you and for the whole world. And not just for you and me. And what gives me confidence as a pastor and a preacher is that every person that walks through the doors of this church, I can look at them and tell them that God loves them. And let me tell you, if I don't do that, shame on me. And if we're not a church that exudes God's love, that every person that walks through that door knows that God loves them in a way that will offer him or give them salvation and, and a new life in Jesus Christ, then we need to, we need to get a new message, right? But, but God's love is not for a select few. It says it's for the whole world. God loved the whole world. And then he says that he gave. God loves the whole world that he gave. Love is not just a thought or an ideal. It's a verb. A verb is an action word. Two points for the grammar teachers right there, all right? I got two points for that. It's an action word. True love means the condition that, that it doesn't leave you in the condition it finds you. It does something about it. God saw we were separated and we had made a mistake and that we have sin in our life. But he did something about it. He, he loved us so much that he gave. He, he sacrificed. So many people ask me, well, how do I know if someone really loves me? Do they sacrifice for you? It is easy to love someone when, you, when you're receiving it. But it's hard to love someone when you have to sacrifice. And if you don't truly love them, you think it's a, like a deal between someone. No, this kind of love that God has and the true love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that gives. It's a love that sacrifices. It's a love that puts the mon your money where your mouth is. And what God was saying, I love you, and I put my money where my mouth was because I gave. And what did he give? He gave the very best. He didn't give an angel. 
He didn't give a creative being. He didn't give someone that, he could, uh, that was easily, easily dispensable. It says that he gave his only begotten son. There it is. That's where the rubber meets the road in the Christmas message. Do you know what makes our message different than anything else in the whole world? The name of Jesus Christ. That's it. And listen, for us as Christians, the one thing that's under attack in our world and even through Christmas and through everything that we have in our fabric of our society is pushing people further and further away from the name of Jesus. You can say you believe in God. You can say you believe in Christmas. But don't you say you believe in Jesus Christ. And don't you say he's the only begotten son. Surely there are many ways to heaven. If you go to the airport, you can get on a plane and you can have five or six different ways to make it to Atlanta. That's a great story. But guess what? Heaven is not Atlanta. And there's not many ways to heaven. There is only one way to heaven. And it is through his only begotten son. And that is Jesus Christ. And literally, in the, in the Greek term, it means the one and only. That there is no other like him. It is completely separated. And one, 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 the one of, of all. It's just There's no one like him. And when we think about this, as us as Christians, we must be very diligent. Because we can say Merry Christmas. And we can say God loves you. And we can talk to our kids about it. We can share things with them. But we need to be very specific with our children. The message we have and the hope that we have and the love that we have is based upon the reconciliation that lies in one person and one person alone. That's Jesus Christ. And when we see this baby in a manger, that he is the reason for the season. He was not a good person. He was not a, just an angel. He was not just a, a, a one who was a great messenger or storyteller. Uh, story he was the begotten son of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the only begotten. He's the only one who could deliver this promise. So many has tried and so many has failed. And so many will try in the future and so many will fail. Religion won't do it. Culture won't do it. Trying hard won't do it. Only Jesus did it, and only Jesus can do it. He's the one and only begotten Son, and we must drive this home over and over and over again. That's why when we tell the story about Christmas here at church, we want to drive home Jesus Christ. That's why when I preach a message, I want to drive home Jesus Christ. When we talk about Christmas in the specific nature that we talk about, not what the world says, but what the Bible says. The story is that Jesus came out of heaven and he took on flesh. He was the very son of God who was in the manger. And he was, not just one, he was just not one among many. He was the one and only. And over and over and over again we must tell that. Because the world is, keeps lying and tries to push other stories. But it's not true. Jesus is the story. I say this and we got signs that says this. Jesus is the reason for the season. If there's no Jesus then there's no Christmas in our book. In the Christian story, it's nobody but Jesus, and we should shout it from the rooftops when we go to the parties or when we uh, talk to our neighbors or when we uh, share with those at school, when we talk to our kids and we gather them together. We ought to tell the story of Jesus, tell the story of, of the Messiah. It's nobody but Jesus. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, there's, there's the next part, whoever Believes, I love whoever. You know why? Because I'm one of them, right? Uh, I, I'm telling you, when you look at your life and you see that God was willing to do this for you, not just me, but you personally. And when you say, for God so loved the world, when you get to whoever, you can put your name there. 
for God so loved Ted, or for God so loved John, or for God so loved Jason, that he gave and he believes and we can trust in him that we are whoever, that anyone who believes in him, what does that word believe mean? It's a continual and complete trust in something. It means not just a one-time act, it means an, an action of belief. It is, it is knowing it with legs on it, like it's got action to it. Like you are depending your whole life upon this truth and your salvation is hinged on this faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Blondin was a famous daredevil. Some of you have heard this story before, but I'm getting like my dad. I just keep telling the stories. I don't know who I've told them to and who I haven't. So I just have to look and laugh and smile like you never heard it before, all right? But he was a famous uh, act over the Niagara Falls and he was a daredevil. And he would take a tight wire and he'd put it across the part of the Niagara Falls. And he would have hundreds and thousands of people begin to gather. And he would do these shows and he would have it. And he would look at him and say, now, uh, who here thinks that I could walk across this tight wire? Who, who thinks I can do it? And they would all cheer and they'd all roar and they'd say, you can do it. You're the best, you know. And so he would turn up, head across it, and he would come back. And then he would yell and scream, oh, that was great. But he says, I got a wheelbarrow. Who thinks that I can push this wheelbarrow across the line and back? And they would all roar and they would all cheer and they'd all uh, cheer him on. So he'd sure enough take that wheelbarrow and he'd go across and he'd come back. And he says, well, who here thinks that I could take this wheelbarrow and cross this tight wire with someone in the wheelbarrow? And they would all yell and they would all shout and it's all, you can do it. And then he says, okay, I need a volunteer, all right? And guess what? Out of thousands of people, he never had a single volunteer say they would get into wheelbarrow. He, poured, he had to pay some poor assistant, some other moron that would try that. Anyways, but he, he had to pay someone to do it. Never one single person. And you know what? That's a lot like Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who say Jesus can do it. And Jesus can do it with someone else. But when it gets to your heart and your life, have you put yourself in the wheelbarrow of Jesus? Have you put yourself there? Do you trust in Him and Him alone? Not for the world and not for whoever, but for you personally. Have you trusted in Him? Have you got in His wheelbarrow so He can take you from where you are to eternity? Do you trust Jesus like that? Because he's the only begotten son. He's the only one who can pay that price. He's the only one who can forgive your sins. And he's the only mediator between you and God. Do you believe like that? And if you do, look what he says. Whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There it is. That's the promise. Should not perish. Perish means to expire. Uh, basically, it means to run out of life. Have you ever had fruit expire? Uh, and fruit does expire, right? It has an expiration date they give you when you buy it. And they say within so many days, this is going to expire. Um, Friday night, I got to take home a whole platter of banana pudding, all right? And the banana is in that pudding. Guess what? They have an expiration date. And that's why I had to eat the whole thing in the last two days, all right? <laughs> I didn't want to be wasteful. I mean, what could I, how could I waste that many bananas, you know? Just trying to get my fruit in, you know? <laughs> but it has an expiration date, and they get mushy, and they get dark, and they get soft, right? And they, and they expire. And you know what? For us as, as humans, we have an expiration date. 
I'm sorry to tell you, but when you were born, you were on a path for your expiration date. We all have an expiration date. Some are sooner than others. Aaron's grandmother, she got to see her yesterday. She's going to be 100 years old in January. She's 99 years old. She's had a long expiration date, right? Others have shorter expiration dates. We don't know when it is, but we know there is one. And how we know we're expiring is we have things called mirrors, right? <laughs> and we look in that mirror and we say, where did that go, right? And our hair on our head turns in our ears and our ear hairs and our, all this stuff begins to rearrange. You say, something's happening to me. Yeah, you're expiring. You are, you are expiring. You are heading down the path of expiring. And as you look at that, he says right here, you will not expire, but the promise is not just expiring here on earth, but you will have everlasting life. Man, Wednesday night, we, we got to talk about the story of Stephen in the Bible. And what a story it was. He was, he was the first deacon of the church. And he was, he was stoned to death. And as they were stoning him, the Bible simply said that his face was glowing like an angel. And, and it was glowing so much with the glory of God that he just went to sleep. That's what it said. And literally it says as he looked to heaven, there was Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he was standing on, uh, there waiting for Stephen. His eyes may have closed and his life may have ended on this earth. But he was in the arms of Jesus for eternity, for everlasting. I mean, what a perspective. That this world may come to an end and our lives will end. But if we trust in Jesus Christ, we will have everlasting life that that I'm not looking to die or expire I'm going to get promoted right I'm going to I'm going to get a promotion into eternal life with God and my sin-ridden body and my life that has fallen apart and the sting of death and hell is gone because I've trusted in Jesus Christ and I'm going to live for everlasting for eternity forever and ever and ever one of my favorite scriptures about this is Revelation 21, when it's all said and done. At the very end, and God is setting all the new orders. He says in chapter 21, verse 1, he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, saw John, then I John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be, uh, God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. You see that? That's you. That's me. If we believe in Jesus Christ, if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not expire. We will have everlasting life. And our hearts may be heavy and we may experience death and we might have uh, diseases and sorrow and crying. But one day, He's going to wipe all those tears away. 
One day there's going to be no more pain, no more sin, no more separation from God. Don't you want to be there? I want to be there. And how do you get there? Being a good person? Do you get there by joining this church or being baptized? Do you get there by saying, you know, Pastor Ted? No. How do you get there? Whoever believes on the name of Jesus Christ. That's how you get there. And let me tell you, this wasn't just promised by me. Like I said, this is promised by God. And when he says the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, it all, has begin, it all began with God and it's all going to end with God. And the promise in between that we have, the opportunity that we have, that comes through this little manger that we talk about every year. And you say, what's so big about Christmas? What's so big about Christmas is that whoever believes in Jesus Christ can have this promise and this hope that we will not expire. We will have everlasting life. And my offer to you this morning is as you consider this verse, and as you consider your heart and your life, I'd ask you, do you really believe this? Have you believed this? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, you're not going to experience this everlasting life. You will perish, and you will, not, you will perish without God and without God in His presence. But the promise is if you have, this will be true for you. And I want to read the verse one more time. And we're going to have our invitation time and then we've got to move on. But I want to read it one more time for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Let's pray together.